Hello and welcome to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. I am, as always, Garrett Ashley Mullet. Today we're going to talk about criticism and what to do with it and where it comes from and what it's about. And uh, I'm not going to beat around the bush. I find critical people that don't have solutions to be uh, extremely counterproductive. Now, I have my moments where I am a, a critical person, and uh, that is to say also, I have my moments where I'm a very counterproductive person. But, uh, you know, what do I want to do? What am I aspiring to? I'm not aspiring to be a critical person, and I certainly don't want to encourage other people to be as well. Uh, I was reading an article, <clears throat> It was uh, in the Drudge Report uh, main page a couple of days ago. And uh, it was about this latest movie with Matthew McConaughey and then a whole bunch of other actors I'd never heard of. But uh, it was (laughs) the most scathing uh, movie review I've ever read. And I don't read read a whole lot of them uh, every now and then, you know, before we'll watch one as a family. If I have any doubts about what the content might be, if it's going to be suitable, then I'll look up a review. This case, this is the first time I had seen a book review, or not a book review, a a movie review, show up in Drudge Report. And uh, it was, (laughs) it was just, it was awful. I mean, it basically just trashed this movie. It said it was garbage. It was the most worthless waste of 10 minutes uh, anybody's ever seen. Uh, just totally terrible. The director was terrible. The acting was terrible. The dialogue was terrible. There was nothing good about it. No redeeming qualities whatsoever. It was just, you need a bath after you watch this movie. It's so bad. You feel so dirty. Not bad as in like, just bad, like, you know, evil, but just bad, like awful, like just horrible, meaningless, confusing, not worth it and uh and so i read this and i i laughed like because because the criticism was just so over the top it was just so hateful <laughs> it, was, uh, it, it was one of those things where it's like man i almost kind of want to see just a little bit of the movie just so i can understand if this critic is uh on point or not um but at least the the review was entertaining i guess but, you know, in, in life, I mean, let's say you have a, a buddy, he comes along and he says, hey, I've got this idea. I want to do X, Y, Z. I want to go start a business. I want to, uh, I don't know, buy this property, fix it up, flip it, sell it. You know, whatever it is that his uh, dream is, his ambition is. And then, you know, he, he tells you this. In excitement, he's wanting you to be excited for him. He's wanting you to encourage him. He's wanting you to, to, uh, you know, be uh, a team player on this, maybe even, <clears throat> and join in the endeavor. And then if you proceed to just poke holes, poke holes, poke holes, poke holes in what it is that he's going to do, um, you know, why would you do that? I mean, if it's an awful idea, it's like you know, I'm really concerned that that's not going to go well. Uh, you know, that's one thing, you know, maybe just tell him that, 
but uh, if you're just saying, well, I, I just don't mind being critical and just picking at your uh, hopes, dreams, aspirations, I just enjoy causing you the emotional discomfort watching the, the look on your face change, just toying with your emotions. You know, that's not cool. You know, that's just, that's really counterproductive. Uh, you know, I, I here this past week, I've been uh, kicking around a couple of ideas. You know, one has been uh, to rent a property that we just recently heard about from some friends of ours that are, they have been renting it and it's out in the country. And it is, <clears throat> if you don't, uh, hope I hope I don't embarrass anybody just talking about uh, money, but it's $500 a month, or that's what they've been renting it for. And then our our mortgage with property taxes and mortgage insurance and everything is $1,365 a month. And you know, we live right in Sydney. There's no country to send our kids out to play in. There's a park next door. Uh, but that's a process, you know, to take everybody over there and to keep tabs on them. And, uh, I'm not really super thrilled about, uh, just, I mean, anybody in Sydney can drive by, can stop and, you know, start chatting with them, our kids and pick them up and run off, you know, abduct them or whatever. I don't know. I just don't, it's not the same as just living out in the country where your kids can go out and play and you don't have to really worry about it. You know, all the, the worst thing that they've got to deal with is, you know, maybe some bugs, uh, you know, wild animals, uh, or falling out of a tree, right? But, uh, you know, so this property, it's out in the country, $500 a month, and it's a ways out in the country, right? It's 30 minutes one way to and from Sydney. And so that's not... You know, not totally a bad thing. It's partly a positive thing because it's like, okay, cool. I mean, we would have some privacy. Uh, but on the other hand, it would be a lot less convenient to be able to get into town and go to the grocery store and see people that we know and love and uh, be a part of church and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It would just make everything a lot more time consuming on uh, on that front. And it's not in the direction that we want to live in as far as, uh, you know, we know people in, let's say, the Savage community, we want to move towards Savage, Montana. Uh, this is closer to Weibo, Montana, and it's 30 minutes further away from Savage than we are already, so it'd be about a, an hour each way. Uh, so it's it's moving further away from where we ultimately want to be. But, you know, part of our thought process is uh, maybe we rent this place. Maybe. Maybe we don't. It's just an idea right now. We're just kind of formulating and theorizing that maybe we rent this place, uh, rent our property out to somebody else, uh, to where we're, you know, it covers the mortgage, but rent it out to somebody who is not going to be living in it quite as much as we are. Uh, cause we've got, you know, seven kids and a dog and, and goldfish uh, plus whatever bugs the kids bring in from our tiny little side yard. And we rent it out to somebody, do some work on it, fix it up. Uh, the housing market seems to be picking up, at least in terms of houses quickly flying off the market. And 
if that continues to be the case, inventory reduces. At a certain point, the people that have been waiting to put their house on the market, to list it, to sell it uh, for the past several years of a down market, uh, they will have been satiated. And, uh, and then supply and demand will dictate that uh, prices will rise. What, what we can actually sell our house for will rise. And what I really want to do is uh, I would like to fix up our house so that it's ready to sell when the market conditions are right. And it's difficult to do that when you're living in it. But uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's a great idea to move out of it, rent something else while we fix it up. Maybe that's going to be a whole lot more work and effort than just, hey, okay, let's just try and fix it up while we're living in it. Because this is, I mean, this is our home. This is where we're at. Uh, I don't know. We're, we're kicking around the idea. But what I anticipate, and what I, I'm trying to wean myself off of, and I'm, it's always a process, uh, is what do other people think of that plan? Do other people like that idea? Is that a good idea to them? Is that Are they going to criticize it? Are they going to think that that's silly? Are they going to think that's stupid? Are they going to look down on it? Are they going to think it's great? You know, are they going to, you know, is that going to cause them to, ch who cares? I mean, is it relevant? Really? Uh, whoever thinks one way or the other, at the end of the day, uh, this is our life and we have to make the cash flow work and we have to make strategic decisions about where we are wanting to go and, uh, and we have to be good stewards of what it is that we have. If you ask 10 people for 10 different ideas, five of them might be critical, five of them might be supportive. And if you're dependent on uh, people's support or at very least them not being critical in order for you to get off of dead center, then you might just be completely stuck, uh, you know, bump on the log, unable to move paralyzed uh, by the opinions of others. And that's not a healthy place to be. What you know, Just make a decision one way or the other, uh, but don't let the fear of uh, people being critical uh, or failing to support your idea uh, stop you. Now, I, the flip side of that is obviously you know, there is safety in a multitude of counselors, as the Bible says, uh, but also... <clears throat> You know, the book of James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives wisdom to all without finding fault. Uh, you know, God is happy to give wisdom to those that want wisdom, who want guidance and direction. And I, I prayed last night, you know, just it was not a, a long, complicated, drawn out prayer to where I think God's going to hear me for having multiplied my words, or if I chant it over and over and over again. Uh, you know, there are scriptures that talk about that as well. But just in faith, Lord God, please make it clear uh, what it is that we should do in this case. Is this, is this wisdom, or is this folly? Would this be productive, or would this be a waste of our time and energy? Uh, that should be the counsel that people give. Pray for wisdom. I will be praying for wisdom for you. This is, you know, this is what uh, maybe the, the scriptures say. If it's relevant, if it's, you know, I don't know that the scriptures really say anything in specificity about whether we should uh, uh, 
you know, go forward with this idea or whether we should, you know, no, 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 that's not the right idea. Uh, I don't think the scriptures say anything specifically about that. I'm not even sure entirely what the, the principles might be, uh, but uh, I know James also says, you know, he, he cautions those that say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, live there for a year, do business, make a profit. He says, you know, you, you don't know what tomorrow brings. You know, in humility, you should say, God willing, we will live and do this or that. But instead you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Uh, you know, we should recognize that God ultimately uh, has a plan for our life and that he knows what the future holds. Now, to counterbalance that, you know, this is me, left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot, trying to make progress walking forward. It's not that these scriptures or these ideas are contradictory. It's that they hold truth and life and goodness in tension, right? Uh, you know, if you, uh, if you are all uh, into letting God plan out your life and you don't make any plans and you don't have any <clears throat> intentionality or forethought in what you're doing, you're being foolish. And the scriptures are clear about that too. Uh, we have wisdom literature in the scriptures for a reason. Uh, and, you know, core, central to uh, the wisdom literature is this idea that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Uh, you know, we cannot be wise, truly wise, apart from a reverential, uh, loving relationship with God our Father through Jesus Christ his Son. But <clears throat> there is more to it than just faith in God to sort out the details. You can't live foolishly. So well, I'm just not going to go to work today. I just, I trust that God will provide. Well, maybe God provided you with a job. Then maybe you should have faith in action. Show me your faith apart from works and I will show you my faith by my works as James also writes in the New Testament. Maybe you should have faith in God that is productive and proactive faith. I'm going to ask God for wisdom in faith, not doubting. I'm not going to boast if God gives me wisdom. and He says, I want you to move to this or that place. If you believe that maybe God wants you to live there for a year and make a profit, uh, don't boast about it. You know, just, hey, you know, it's okay uh, to just store that away in your heart and know that this is what God has called us to do. We are confident. We trust God. We are going to work diligently. Whatever it is that our hand finds to do, we're going to do it with our might as unto the Lord. And uh, and we trust that God will see to the results. Maybe it won't go as we are thinking it will. Maybe we've misinterpreted. Maybe we misunderstand. There's so many times in the scriptures that Jesus is teaching in parables. And his disciples are confused. You can just imagine blank faces. Uh, as they don't understand what it is that he's talking about. And they'll ask, you know, we don't understand. What are, what are you talking about when you're teaching in this parable here? And and so several times he explains, he says, well, this is what this means. This is what this is. I'm, I'm teaching you in parables because these are difficult things to understand or because they're not for everybody to understand. There are some people uh, who are not... Uh, they don't have good intentions or pure intentions or they don't love God. And 
if you made this accessible to them, they would manipulate, twist it, pervert it, and then take advantage of other people by pretending to be virtuous, godly, etc., etc. So God actually conceals, I think, uh, some truths from the wicked uh, as a mercy to the vulnerable. You know, behold, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. So God, I think, calls for us to be wise as serpents first. So we know that. I don't just think that. I know that from the scriptures. It says it, black and white. Uh, or red, if you have the red letter edition Bibles. But I don't see why. It, small uh, rabbit trail, if you'll forgive me and indulge me. Uh, why, why do we need red letter Bibles? Is it like we think that when Jesus is being directly quoted, that's any more of the scriptures than the rest of the time, the rest of the scriptures. All scripture is God-breathed. Anyway, okay. So, close bracket. That, that's, that's that rabbit trail for today. Um, anyway, back to being critical. So say I, I propose this idea, and I, I tell you, and I just did. I told you, hey, this is what we're thinking about doing, renting this house out in the country. And it's not in the best of shape, and it's not in the most convenient location, and it's not the direction that we want to go, getting closer to people that are loving and supportive, uh, that we really, really like. It's moving further away from all those people, and maybe they'll still uh, come and see us and uh, you know be our friends and all that. And maybe it'll only be temporary, but... Uh, is it a good idea? Well, if I tell you that idea and you just say, well, that's stupid. And what about this? And what about that? You know, and you're only looking at the negative side of it and you're not willing to even listen on the positive side of it. You're being critical. Now, if you say, Hey, listen, I'm, you know, all of the, uh, the positives you just mentioned, you know, moving out of your house, being able to, uh, you know, fix it up and not, you know, messing it up as you're uh, working, uh, uh, as you, you know, working as you as you're living in it. Uh, sorry, I got a text there. I got distracted. If it sounds like I just hemmed and hawed there, uh, <laughs> you know, if if you listen to my idea and you say, "Hey, I hear these positives. I hear these are your goals. These are the things that you're working towards." What about this? What if you adjust your plan a little bit and you come at it from this angle instead? There's another way to achieve the positive things that you're trying to achieve. This might be more productive. It would have less negatives associated with it. It'd be less of a cost, It'd be less of a waste of time, less of a risk, less of a gamble, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, that's not just being critical. Like if you say, hey, there, here's uh, the downside of what you're thinking about doing, but if you do this instead, this works maybe better. See, that's helpful. You know, somebody asks the classic question, do you want the good news or the bad news? Well, if it's all news and it's all relevant to the, what I need to do next, I want actually both. Can I have both the good news and the bad news? Uh, you know, uh, somebody who is critical doesn't ask, do you want the good news or the bad news? Or if they do, they don't really have any good news. <laughs> <laughs> they they just have bad news and worse news. Do you want the, the bad news or the less bad news? But it's all bad news, actually. Uh, well, you know, that might just be your bad attitude. 
Maybe I don't want your bad attitude. Uh, in thinking about this topic, I'll quote again Aristotle. Uh, I know I've quoted him uh, several times before in uh, previous podcasts and uh, articles that I've written. But uh, you know, he says at one point, there's only one way to avoid criticism. Do nothing, say nothing, and be nothing. And uh, I, I find it interesting, too. I'm, I'm looking through my uh, uh, Pinterest board for quotes. There's a, a quote from Winston Churchill where he says, You will never reach your destination if you stop and throw stones at every dog that barks. Uh, now, that's a little bit different. You know, he's talking about you know, having a, a snappy comeback or fighting with, bickering. You know, you're going to just get in a knockdown drag out with uh, the people that are critical. Uh, you know, that's, that's a little bit different, but it's similar uh, to what Aristotle is saying. You know, basically, if you want to amount to anything, you're going to have to be able to just tune out uh, the people that are just critical for no good purpose. They don't have your best in, uh, interests at heart. They're not looking for you to do well, to succeed, et cetera, et cetera. And, and for anybody that's listening to this, if, you know, if you think I'm talking about you because you've been critical or you, you've said things, you know, well, that's not maybe the best idea or whatever, uh, you know, by no means. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm speaking in general terms here and I'm as much wrestling with uh, the gray matter between my ears as I am uh, thinking of anybody I know uh, in the wider world, any friends, family, acquaintances, etc. Um, you know, for me to be productive or to be a good father, to be a good husband, to be a productive uh, employee or to a supervisor over others, to give them uh, good direction... You know, I can't just be talking about the negatives. Just be always, oh, everything's just always awful. Everything's terrible. I've got to also have solutions. If I don't come with solutions, if I'm just always a drain and I'm always negative and I'm always just down about everything, then you know, nobody's going to want to work with me. Nobody's going to want to come to me for advice or confide in me and say, hey, can you lend some support on this? Do you have any ideas? Now, by contrast, if you and I can both be the kind of person who says, not do you want the good news or the bad news, but we bring both. You know, maybe you start with the bad news so they'll listen to the good news. So the good news sounds that much sweeter. Uh, take the bitter with the sweet, but maybe a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. You bring the, the bad news first, and then you say, but the good news is we can counteract this. We can, uh, you know, here's the antidote to the poison I just fed you. <laughs> no, no. Uh, oil and gas. Well, let's use that example. In oil and gas, you do a job safety analysis or a job hazard. What is it? Job? J-H-E-A. Job hazard environment assessment or whatever. You do these little safety analysis uh, pieces you're supposed to. Uh, it's mandated. It's an industry thing. And you're supposed to list off all of the hazards that you're expecting to run into. And at Conoco, we had something called a go card when I worked there. And you, it was basically a, a list of questions where you'd ask 
category by category, are there any hazards like this? Anything that could burn me or sting me or fall on me or crush me? Or uh, are there any pinch points? Is there anything I could trip over? You know, and then so you identify what all those things are that might be involved in uh, the job task, uh, scope, whatever that you're going to be working on for the day. You list off those hazards, and then the next step is you work to mitigate those hazards. And so you go item by item. You say, well, hey, you know, the wind is really up today, and, uh, you know, if we're not careful as we're going in and out of these buildings, the wind could catch the door and slam <laughs> it on us. If I'm standing in the door, if I've got my hand on the door uh, frame, that door could slam and it could smash my fingers. Okay, all right, well, we've identified that's a hazard, okay? It's a negative thing we don't want to have happen. I don't want to have my fingers smashed by a door that the, the wind just slammed on me. But the next step is going to be, how do I mitigate that hazard? Well, how about we find some rope, uh, tie it to the doorknob, and then tie the other end to a pipe to where uh, the door is not going to be caught by the wind. It's not going to slam on you. Okay, great idea. That, that mitigated that hazard. And so on and so forth. Then you just go on down the line item by item by item. If we're going to be working on something electrical, we're going to turn off the power and make sure that it's de-energized. We're going to test it with a multimeter or what have you before we start pulling out wires and jeopardizing uh, ourselves or someone else. Uh, either that we're going to be uh, turning something on while we've got it halfway taken apart and then it, you know, it, uh, it, it, it sucks us in if it's rotating equipment or, uh, you know, it, it's not going to damage the equipment if we've got it halfway disassembled and then somebody accidentally bumps the power switch uh, and then it it runs without several of the core components or with them half out or whatever. Uh, you know, you you identify what your hazards are, then you mitigate them. So it's the good news with the bad. Now, I want to shift uh, slightly. It's uh, not a totally different topic it's just a little bit of a different direction from uh, what it is I've been talking about so far and uh, I'll just tell you I, I opened up bible.com here because I was thinking about this topic and wanting to uh, have a balanced view of it and uh, the verse of the day for bible.com is proverbs 27 verses 5 to 6. It says, An open rebuke is better than hidden love. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. Now, you, you think about that. In this day and age, uh, affirmation is considered to be uh, synonymous and inseparable from uh, love. You know, I have to affirm your life choices or else I'm called a hateful bigot or I'm just not being supportive, or what have you. Uh, that's not fair. Uh, sometimes you are having a bad time because you made poor life choices, and the most loving thing to do is to tell you, we should stop that, right? You're hurting yourself, and you're being stupid. Do something different. Uh, the most loving thing is not to tell you, hey, you are just super smart, and with it and it's everybody else that's the problem and uh 
you just keep on as you are. If what you're doing is not right, the most loving thing to do is to tell you to do something different. Uh, C.S. Lewis says something, and I'm going to loosely paraphrase it. Uh, he says, if I'm going in the wrong direction, then progress means turning around and going the other way. You know, progress is not continuing to go in the wrong direction. And so also love is not telling somebody that uh, you support them doing things that are going to hurt them ultimately, uh, that are going to destroy them. An open rebuke is better than hidden love. Wounds from a sincere friend are better, better <clears throat> than many kisses from an enemy. So you think about people you've known that just told you flat out, hey, stop it. You're being stupid. You know, you trust uh, somebody I do anyways. I trust somebody who's just going to be blunt and direct. Now, there's a, uh, a a point. There's a limit. You know, if they're saying things intentionally exaggerating the bad just to make me feel bad, well, that's no bueno. Uh, you know, that doesn't encourage me to, to trust them. But if they're just going to say, hey, this is how it is, like it or not, take it or leave it, then, uh, that, you know, I'm going to go and ask them for advice. I'm going to talk about complicated things in front of them because I'm going to want to get their perspective. But if every time uh, something negative comes up, uh, you're sugarcoating it, you know, oh, well, it's not as bad as all that. Look on the bright side right away before we've even delved into uh, what it is that we're going to do or what we could do. You know, maybe there isn't anything, but maybe there is. If you don't even hesitate because you just automatically want to whitewash all the problems, uh, that's no, that's not healthy. Uh, that, that to me is a sign of cowardice. Now, you think about wounds from a sincere friend. Now, what is a wound from a sincere friend? I think that's when a, a friend of yours says, hey, I see this in your life. Uh, it's a problem that you have. I'm really concerned for you. And you think about two potential friends. You know, Imagine you've got a drinking problem. One friend is bringing a six-pack over because they know that that's what makes you happy. That's what you want. And they want you to like them, and so they give you what you want. Now, but if you have a drinking problem, they're enabling your drinking problem. They're making it worse. If you're trying to quit drinking and they bring you over a six-pack, then they're not helping you. They're helping themselves. They don't love you. They love themselves. They're using you. Uh, and if you have another friend who says, hey, you know what? You've had three. You're acting a little bit uh, crazy right now. Uh, I don't think this is a good idea. I think I think you should cool it. I think that's enough. Now, you may not like that. That might offend you, especially if you're having a really good time. That might be a buzzkill. What do you mean? No, I'm fine. I'm fine. Mind your own business. No, you're not fine, actually. You're, you're not doing so hot. Come on. Why don't, why don't let, let's go home. Let's just uh, watch a movie. You know, that might feel like a wound, uh, especially if the people that you're accustomed to are always uh, just telling you what you want to hear <clears throat> or just not saying anything. You know, silence is consent. Watching is condoning. Uh, my dad is 
very fond of that uh, phrase. I'm not sure it's an absolute truth, but uh, it is uh, a truism. I think there's truth to it. So many people around us, uh, I don't think, are are balanced in giving the good news with the bad, uh, being realistic, um, being willing to identify problems as a means to the end of providing solutions. There's plenty of people who want to deny that there are problems because it's easy to solve problems that you don't have, right? Like you don't, there's nothing required. It's easy. Uh, There's plenty of people that want to define the problem and spend all of their time defining the problem because they don't want to have to solve anything, you know, or I'm going to talk really, really negative about all this stuff over here that we know we can't do anything about just so I don't have to do anything about what I could do something about. Neither of those are, uh, I think, wise or good or healthy. Uh, They're not going to lead to a fruitful, productive, uh, good life. Now, if on the other hand, you know, an open rebuke is better than hidden love. You know, hidden love, you think about the people around you that love you, they're concerned for you, they want what's best for you, but they don't say anything. Well, what good is that? Do you really love the other person if you're hiding it? And why are you hiding it? Well, maybe you're hiding because you're afraid to get hurt. Well, if you're afraid to get hurt more than you love that other person, your love for that person is really small. And you're choosing to be selfish. If you hide your love for somebody uh, out of self-preservation, first and foremost. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. You think about why is it that an enemy kisses you? Now, you know, I was just reading a a book about the Crusades. And when I got to the part about Richard the Lionheart, I was really, really impressed. I'd like to find another book about just Richard the Lionheart. Uh, he's a very dynamic, uh, just a, just an interesting figure. And he seems larger than life. He seems, uh, he seems like a superhero or like, uh, you know, he's made up. Uh, and maybe he was, maybe that is the, the truth of it. Uh, maybe the legend was bigger than the man actually was, uh, as a way of advancing, uh, propaganda basically. For the crusader cause but here he was he was this warrior king just absolutely ferocious on the field of battle but also exceptionally cunning in diplomacy and he knew how to use diplomacy to stall his enemy or to get in their head and uh, he did that masterfully with uh saladin and with uh, the muslim armies that he was uh fighting during the crusades but you know it's interesting to me you know, the many kisses from an enemy. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. You think about why would an enemy give you many kisses? Well, it's to, to get you to drop your guard or to get in your head or to, you know, to make you think everything's fine uh, so that you're not uh, watching as they uh, remove the dagger from their waistband. Uh you know, an enemy will kiss you because they're trying to uh, set you at ease so they can take advantage of you, which, again, is not love. 
you know, a kiss should be uh, a loving thing, a sign of affection, a sign of goodwill, of tenderness, of intimacy. But if the person kissing you and telling you sweet nothings and telling you what you want to hear, if they love themselves and uh, they're just trying to use you, well, what good is that? You know, and once you realize it, once the jig is up, uh, you know, that's not really, uh, <laughs> you're not uh, warmly receiving those kisses, right? You know, you, you are keeping one eye on the door, watching them very closely, et cetera, et cetera. You know, but a friend who's willing to <clears throat> say, uh, hey, I know you don't want to hear this, but this is how it is right now. Uh, you know, that that is a, a thousand times better uh, than somebody who's going to be flattering you, just buttering you up. You know, going back to the uh, analogy of the JHEA or the JSA in oil and gas, you know, if you identify hazards and you don't have any kind of a mitigation for them, what good is that? I say, well, I'm going to work on top of these, you know, 20 foot, 30 foot tanks. And uh, I've identified the hazard. The hazard is I might fall off and break my neck. All right, let's get to work. Okay, wait a second, pause. What good was it that we identified that this is a hazard if we haven't done anything to protect against that risk of you falling off? You know, if you haven't put on a harness and a lanyard, tied yourself to something secure that's going to catch you if you fall, uh, what good was it to identify the hazard? Uh, if you, you know... Find a, a mitigation for that hazard to an acceptable level. And then all of a sudden it is worth something that you identify the hazard. Uh, so also with, I think, criticism. Uh, you know, If we're pointing out uh, the negative aspects, the downside uh, to every situation, but there's never any kind of a solution. There's never a bright side. There's never a, well, why don't you do this? Well, how about that? Well, how about let's fix this? How about let's make this better? How about we take it from this angle instead? You know, if there's never anything like that, then congratulations. You're just uh, awful and you're just discouraging people. Uh, and now, and I have to be careful about this myself. Um, I feel like right now, just me personally, I'm in. Uh, kind of a, a, a struggle to not be that way. I'm tired. I'm feeling stretched. I'm feeling like I'm being asked to do a lot. And, uh, and there's a lot of times where I don't feel like I'm up for, I don't have enough time or energy or resources to be able to deliver on what I'm asked to deliver. And that's frustrating, right? Uh, in trying to get something turned around in that regard, uh, you know, I find myself trying to identify the problem from different angles, trying to restate it, trying to say, hey, this is what it is. But then, you know, if there's not enough time to actually do anything or if uh, there are no good options to 
uh, address those, those problems in the short term or immediately, uh, it just comes across as complaining. Well, now what good was that? If I just discouraged myself and whoever was listening and drained them and made them feel really sorry for me, well, what good was that? You know, to what purpose did I complain or identify the problem? And that's that, that's how I want to put it too. You know, because in my case, I think at least it starts as identifying the problem. And I really want a solution, but where discouragement gets to be tricky and and difficult to contend with is if you convince yourself that there are no solutions, uh, then it goes back to uh, you know something I said the other day. You know, if uh, if I tell my kids, "Hey guys, go wash the dishes," and they say, "Well, Dad, it's going to take forever," and if they're as a consequence going really, really super slow and getting distracted and wandering away and all that, well, then yes, it will take forever. Now, my wife had this brilliant idea last night where she made it a competition between our two oldest boys, and they're very competitive with one another. But she made it a competition where she said, hey, you know, whoever washes the most dishes in, I think it was 20 minutes. She set a timer for 20 minutes each. Whoever washes the most dishes won't have to do dishes tomorrow. Whoa, buddy, they moved it. They were fast, and they were kind of spurring each other on. They were getting really into it. And wouldn't you know it, a lot of dishes got washed. Uh, you know, that is in, in sharp contrast to, you know, having to pull teeth and say, oh, guys, you know, get back to it, please. You know, stop getting distracted. Stop walking away from the sink. Stop, you know, da-da-da-da-da-da. 